if you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, whether this is your first time, first time in a long time, Sunridge is your home, or you're just checking us out online, uh, you are so welcome here. You know, we're a church that seeks to deepen faith, bring hope, and live love. And uh, we don't care where you're starting from on, uh, on that journey, but we just hope we can help you take uh, the next step. So speaking of bringing hope and living love, I want to put a picture up here. Sunridge, last week, your food drive, you guys crushed it. You crushed it. Um, uh, I was up in Fresno with uh, my youngest daughter and her family, and uh, right away someone sent me this picture. You know, Community Mission of Hope, who we were supporting through that food drive, they were just so blown away. And I'm blown away. I'm just so grateful to be a part of a church that, like, seeks to help people outside of our four walls were doing really tangible things and you made a difference in young families lives and people that are uh you know far from god uh you know under resourced there's so many kids that are gonna get food this summer that normally get their meals at school and uh and the mission of hope has just really wanted me to tell you how grateful they were for what you did and i hope you got to meet some of your neighbors too that was awesome so uh thanks Thanks for doing that, you guys. Um, you guys know what this phrase means, old man power? Anybody know what old man power is? Raise your hand. Okay. I'm going to help you. So you're going to learn something today. may not be theology, but you're going to walk away knowing what old man power is. Old man power is no matter how big or strong you get, you can never take your dad. <laughs> He's got old man power. And uh, that, that is true of me. You know, from probably ninth grade on, I out, could outmuscle and I outweighed my dad. I went off to college at 240 pounds to play college football, and I could never take my dad. And, you know, sometimes my jaw gets out of place, and it reminds me what that feeling was like when I tried to take him on. Uh, if you're a dad here today, uh, or a father, or whatever your word is, like, you have old man power. You guys, some of you, like, you're in a job that's not really your passion, but you get up every day and go to work. Some of you are even moonlighting and doing a second job, all to take care of your family. Many of you are driving countless miles in order to do so, and even though you do that when you get home, you scarf down a sloppy Joe sandwich, you pile the kids in, and you start commuting again all over the valley to take them to their sporting events and practices and <coughs> plays and all of that stuff, and on the nights that's not going on, you show up at home and uh, you're, you're helping with the dishes and the laundry and homework. So right now, ladies, this might be the time for you to fold your arms and look at your husband and say, you need to step up, mister, because there's husbands out there doing that. Um, somewhere out there is a mythological father doing it. I know many of you are doing that. And uh, when everyone goes to bed, you know, you're up late closing the loop on some of the business deals that you did during the day, or you're working on an online degree. Uh, you're sacrificing every day, you know, for your family. And uh, you probably drive the oldest car in the house. And, uh, you know, on the weekends, during the week, you're watching countless hours of football, basketball, football, soccer. I said football twice because football is actually a real sport. And then... Um, <laughs> you know, plays and what, you know, music uh, recitals and you're doing all that. And what, what's cool is that 
Those people that call you father, they see you being their number one fan week in and week out. It's true. You know, you have old man power. Some of you, like, you have power that you never realized you had until you got your dad stripes because there is nothing, nothing like the tenacious love of a father. How many of you are fathers today? Stand up. If you're a father, stand up. We're going to pray for you. Come on. Stay up. Okay, how many of you moms are doing a single mom life and you're both mom and dad? You can stand because I want to pray for you too. Stand up. Don't be embarrassed. So you're doing it. You see these people standing around you, they are remarkable people. And some of them are very young, but they still have old man power. And I want to pray for you, okay? God, uh, the men and the women that are standing right now are holding a place in life that uh, is tough. They're sacrificing every day. And they've committed themselves to their families in ways that none of us can even imagine. There are, mo there are moms standing that are holding both roles in my heart, and uh, I know that your heart goes out to them. There, there are men standing right now that this day is super joyful. They're in such a great spot. And this is just going to be an awesome day where their family's all around them and, and they're enjoying it. And others, they're estranged from their kids. And this day brings pain. Or they've lost a father, even though they are fathers. And they're reminded of that. Or super tragically, there are people standing today that have lost a child. And this day reminds them of the text, the card, the interaction that they're not going to have. God, I pray that your mercy would be on all the people standing, that you would show your hand mighty on their behalf, that you would give them strength far beyond what they think that they're capable of when they get up tomorrow morning and they head back to the dad life and making those commitments and sacrifices for their family. And I pray that they would have a sense of um, empowerment by you and accomplishment and that they would face life courageously in the role that you've given them. And I pray that they would stick to it. That they would be like Tom Petty said, they don't back down. That our love for our kids would be tenacious because there's nothing like it. And because there's nothing like it, we have to take it on. Will you help us do that, God? In your name, amen. Thank you, men and women, for standing. You know, uh, it's interesting, one of the most gripping stories Jesus ever told, we're going to look at today, was about a father's tenacious love. It's, um, we're going to be uh, looking at some scriptures today that describe God's love through the lens of a father. And you may know this story as the prodigal son, but it could just as easily been called the tenacious father. And you're going to see there's lots of applications, not just for parents and for fathers in particular, but also for all of us. And, and understanding how to love others tenaciously and then also about God's tenacious love for us. And in Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus tells a story about two men or, or a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, contextually, 
you understand this is so inappropriate. It would be inappropriate today, but even more so at that time. I mean, at that time, um, the, the inheritance went to the oldest son when the parents are deceased. But here you have the son being so audacious to say, I want mine now. I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? Can you, uh, can you imagine your kids right now coming to you and saying, you know, I want mine now. This might be a great time to look at your children that are around you and say, there's not a chance that's going to happen. <laughs> Go ahead, take that moment. Either way, you know, this had to rip this father's heart out, and I'm pretty sure that everybody around him had an opinion on it. Right? You know, well, I wonder what that dad did that, uh, or didn't do that his child would be uh, so off track. Um, some people probably tell him, you should just give up on him, man. There's like, a kid like that, they're not worthy. And, you know, uh, in Jewish tradition at this time, that son would be considered dead to them, dead to the family. Any of you ever done an escape room? You know what, how, how many of you, raise your hand, okay. Like, if you don't know what an escape room is, there's this thing you can go do where they give you a couple of clues and then they stick you in a room and you're supposed to figure out how to, how to solve the problem in the room, how to get out of the room. And uh, it's really a young person's game. I'm, I've done it, we've done it twice as a staff and I'm totally useless. I might be able to hold a flashlight or something like that, offer a, a scripture verse here and there, but not very helpful terms of getting out of the escape room you're in there and it's like you only have like a little bit of information and you're supposed to figure it out to me that's what it's like to be a parent because each one is different and you don't get enough information when you sign up to be a parent in fact if you signed up to be a parent you signed up for a seriously hard job that comes without instructions and that's that's the first thing i want to talk about the kids don't come with a manual they don't do that. You can imagine what this father is going through. Everything else that you do in life comes with a, an instruction manual. You, buy, you can buy a refrigerator, a video game, uh, you know, a pencil. It'll probably come with a safety message. Like, they give you instruction booklets. They give you, uh, you know, manuals. And if none of that works, you can always call customer service or tech support. Or you can Google it. And I Googled how to be a great parent. And you know, like, I, I never knew this was out there. There was a site, 50 easy ways to be a fantastic parent. If I'd only known, like, 40 <laughs> years ago, that it was that easy, 50 things to be a fantastic parent. I think that that site was probably written by someone who didn't have children, because <laughs> those are the only experts on kids, right? Those that don't have them. And then there's a second layer of expertness uh, when you have little kids and you know all about how to raise adult children and teenagers. And I just say, buckle up and get ready. Um, but what's interesting here is that the, the father doesn't chase after the son. In verse 12, he d actually divides his property between them. And it's kind of like what, what I call the paradox of loving tenaciously as a parent. You know, throughout this series, Tenacious Love, we've been saying that tenacious love holds on when it would be easier to let go. But a parent's tenacious love is letting go, oftentimes letting go 
when you want to hold on and holding on when they want you to let go. I'm going to read that again because I made that up. <laughs> a parent's tenacious love can mean letting go when you want to hold on and holding on when they want you to let go. Isn't that true? See, parenting is a repetitive series of letting go and preparing to let go, isn't it? You think about, you know, you take this baby home, and, and you're preparing, eventually, to let them go to preschool. And you get them ready for that, or kindergarten, or elementary school, first grade. And then, like, you prepare them to go spend the night somewhere, and you let them go. And then you do the same for middle schoolers. High school, I've seen a lot of you guys on your social media posting about your kids going to the next level, and you've probably done everything you can to get them ready for that, but then you let them go. And then they start driving, and you try to prepare them for that. And then you let them drive away, and that's a whole new level of anxiety, isn't it? And then they go off to college, and you do everything you can to prepare them for that. You let them go, and then they have their career, and then... They, maybe they get married or they buy a home. This is why the writer of Proverbs said that, uh, that we teach a child the way they should go and then they follow that path. That's what we're doing. We're constantly preparing them and then releasing them. And this father lets go. And letting go here is actually to let his son face the consequences of his decision. And it's interesting to me that Jesus kind of tells this story in a positive way. This story, we know it as the prodigal son, but Jesus doesn't call it, you know, the foolish father. He releases him. Last week, I, was, I, I listened to the message online. I watched our family staff uh, on stage where they talked about tenacious love and how that love can become toxic. And, and so one of the ways that uh, that, that can happen is if we're, we're blocking the consequences that God would bring to our children's lives in order to reshape them. Sometimes letting go can be really hard in that way. I know so because I've done it. When uh, I have a daughter um, that came to a certain period in life where I had to sit down with her and ask her to leave the house. And, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you, you know, which daughter, but her first name begins with April. <laughs> and, you know, talk about the model child, and I have her permission to tell this story, by the way. Um, and then, you know, she graduated from high school and was in her freshman year of college, and we were just like, just button heads. And like you, we have like rules in our house and like ways of doing things, and we just could not iron it out. And it was creating so much stress in the household and for the other kids that I sat her down. I think we laid on the trampoline in the backyard, and I'm telling you the hardest thing I ever did would say, you know, you're going to have to move out. And I can't tell you, like, all the concern and anxiety and, like, 
this risk we were taking and like how much pain that caused me and her. And yet, you know, she moved out for about a year. She was down in San Diego living with a girlfriend and, and you know, going to school here and there and working. And we'll both tell you, man, what a hard thing to do. But we'll both also say that um, it was the best decision. Now, I, I'm not saying that that's for you, so don't look at your six-year-old and say, if you don't put your <laughs> shoes away, you're out, Pastor Britt says. And then you come back and you'll put your shoes in the closet like you're supposed to. Um, but, you know, like that year down there, on her own, grinding it out, it, it removed kind of that protective layer that parents can have. And God shaped her heart during that time. Sometimes tenacious love is letting go in that way. In verse 13, not long after this dad gave him what he wanted and let him go, uh, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And I bet you the, the son just thought he hit the lotto, you know. You know it w Prince wasn't around then, but he was partying like it was 1999 for sure. And, you know, the, the point of that to me is that, you know, isn't it easy to wander from the path? Isn't it easy to fall away? And, and you know, when you do, it will be fun for a while. Can you say college freshman? It will be. But there's a lesson in that for all of us. And here it is. We, you know, we can convince ourselves that almost anything is the right move. We can convince ourselves that almost anything is the right move. Think the son had to break with all wisdom, all social norms, everything that he knew about his family. And he had to like totally reject all that to do this thing. And imagine all the signs that were there for him that he just kept ignoring. You know this applies much wider than just rebellious sons, right? It includes daughters. But it includes husbands and wives and uh, brothers and sisters and church friends. Human beings. We can, we can turn almost anything into the right move. And if you're here this morning and you, you're trying to convince yourself that walking away from your family or your spouse or your church or God or the scripture, if you're thinking that that's the right move, you should rethink that. And before you make that decision, I would encourage you to and I've said this before, it's like, ask yourself the best question ever. This is uh, from Andy Stanley. In light of my past experiences, my current situation, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? Because that kind of encompasses your whole experience, and it's asking yourself, is this really the best move? Because we can convince ourselves that it is. And so this son, what he thought was going to be a paradise, actually turns into a pig pen. The economy crashes in verse 14, and after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself, hired himself out 
to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Oops. Didn't see that coming. But shouldn't he have seen it? Do you think that when he was in the middle of that fall, that free fall, did he ever, like, like was he remembering some of the things that he said and regretted it, some of the decisions that he'd made? Of course he did. And he probably asked himself, how did I get here? Because he had convinced himself that this was the right move, the best thing for him. How did I get here? I'll tell you how he got there, one step at a time. See, he wasn't thinking that this was going to lead to me feeding pigs and longing after the food that I'm giving to them. He, doesn't, he didn't see this, that the story was going to play out like this. And there's a lesson in that for all of us. There's no sin that is out of reach for any of us. There's no sin out of reach for any of us. I mean, this is a nice Jewish boy who lived a privileged life, and now he's feeding pigs which is anathema to his religion. And if you'd have told him at the beginning of this, hey, this is where you're going to end up, he would have said, no way, no way would I ever do that. Can you relate? Have you ever made decisions that brought you to a point where, you, where you're like, how did I get here? And you've done something that you never thought that you would do. See, there's no sin out of reach for any of us. But here's the good news. Home is never out of reach either. In verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went back to his father. I love that it says, when he came to his senses, Paul wrote to Timothy, and, and he was talking about how he prays for these for people who, that they would come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. It's like, it's like it all became clear when it wasn't before. If you're in the military or you're in public service, in, in emergency services, you know this phrase, situational awareness. Situational awareness is... is it's like you, you're, you look up, you're aware, not just of the task you're doing and getting tunnel vision, but you can see what has been going on in this incident. What, what is happening right now? What could this lead to? And what are my decisions actually doing? That's called situational awareness because it's so easy to get tunnel vision. And virtually every tragic event in the military or in public safety can all go back to incident commanders or individuals that they were not aware of what was happening around them. They didn't have situational awareness. And I would say to you, Christian, don't be so blind that you can't see your situation. Don't be so proud that you can't admit that you took a wrong turn. Don't be so stubborn that you continue to stick with what isn't working. Isn't it better to admit got off on the wrong path and to turn back. In verse 20, he does return. In verse 20, we see while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And if, if you're a parent, if you're a husband and a wife, or a wife, not and a wife, um, if you're a pastor, if you're a friend, this is a moment that you pray for, right? That they return. And we don't know how long it took, but we know that it always takes too long. As I mentioned earlier, Cindy and I were uh, visiting our daughter up in Fresno, and we, you know, we stopped off to get uh, gas and uh, something to eat. And like almost as soon as we got off the exit, I was like, this is one of those sketchy exits. You know what I'm talking about? This is sketchy. You, you, um, and I know sketchy after being a fireman for many years. Like, we shouldn't have got off here. And it was all the wrong people walking around, acting all the wrong ways. And um, so we're getting gas, and, and we see this gal. She must have been like, I don't know, mid-20s, later, later 20s. And she had really hard miles on her. And she was like going, you know, somewhere quickly. It was obvious that she had a drug issue, a drug addiction. And, um, you know, I, I looked at Cindy, and I said, Man, she's sketchy. And then she said something like, you know, it's like she's somebody's little girl. I'm like, well, thanks for being super spiritual here. I'm just trying to protect us. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I felt the same way. It's like at some time, she was just a little kid. And probably... Uh, there's a dad or a mom waiting for her to come home. It's obvious in this story that the father never gives up hoping for his son to return because Luke says that while he was still a long ways away, it's almost like the father kept looking. You know, every once in a while, whatever his day, he would just look and he sees him. And when he sees him, he totally embarrasses himself. It's like, you know, at that time to run, he had to hike his tunic up and run. And it's like he grabs his son. Everyone that had told him and his, his social norms and his religion said, reject him, he's dead. It's like, I don't care. And he grabs him and says he's crying and he's kissing him. It's totally like an unhinged moment because he's so glad. His son has returned. You know, uh, I told you about that daughter that I'm not going to tell you who it was. Um, in the beginning, that story has a happy ending. A year later, we were able to take her to Michigan uh, to Hope College, which is an amazing college. And, you know, God orchestrated some things. She was ready, and, and we took her there. And I drove there with her. And um, Cindy, Cindy flew, and we got her all set up. And then April took us to the airport. And as, she, as we hugged her goodbye in the terminal and then walked to our plane, I'm telling you, I was just overcome by emotion. The, the emotions included joy and sadness and, and, and anxiety that she's going to be so far away and risks. Like, is this really, is she going to, like, you know, stick with this. It's like all these emotions came on me and I was sitting in the plane and I just started crying. And like, I know, like, Cindy will tell you, like, 
if I get a tear in my eye, I call that crying. She doesn't call it crying, but this was like ugly crying. This was like choking back sobs. So I'm sitting on the plane, and I'm like, <laughs> and, the, and the more I try to suppress it, you know, it gets worse, right? So like, you're just like, <laughs> and like people are like looking around, and like, and then like I'm like tears are flowing. The flight attendant's like, uh, security. You know, 28E going unhinged. It's like, that's what this father did. Maybe you can relate. See, because tenacious love never gives up hope. It never stops hoping. If you have a prodigal, loving them tenaciously will require hope. If not in that person, in God... You know, next Sunday we're launching a brand new series. It's our summer series called I Promise. We're going to look at eight promises in the Bible that God gives. And, you know, the whole world runs on promises. Think about it. Like when you drove here to church, you were banking on the people driving on the other side of the road would, that their promise was they'll stay on that side. I mean, the world can't run without people fulfilling their promises. Faith can't operate without us standing on the promises of God. Peter wrote that God has given us great and marvelous promises. But have you ever asked yourself, what would it be like if I actually lived my life in confidence about those promises? That's what that series, I Promise, is all about. And I challenge you, like, be here as often as you can. I know everyone's scattering for summer, but be here for these messages because our God is not just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. And we stand on that when we place our hope in him. Even when we don't have the strength to hold on, we can place our hope in God. Just listen to some of these uh, verses about God's, uh, our hope in God. Psalm 25, 5, guide me in your truth and teach me for you are my God and my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Psalm 31, 24, be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Doesn't that sound like somebody who's kind of bolstering their own confidence in God? Psalm 42, 11, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. That's a self-talk, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 1, 10, Paul wrote, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And sometimes our hope is set on the fact that God will deliver somebody else. If you're a prodigal, you can place your hope in God, too. You think the thing in front of you, the return is insurmountable. It's not. Not without God. You can come home. Why don't you? I love uh, this quote. It's in your notes. I got it from Ann F. Downs. She said, there's no gone that's too far gone. Don't you love that? There's no gone that's too far gone. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that no one is ever so far from God that God's love can't reach them. So if you're a prodigal, apologize. Confess. Ask forgiveness. Recommit yourself to that relationship. Come back. That's what the son did. And this is almost a prayer that you could pray what he says to his father, you could say to your heavenly father. 
Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And here's the interesting thing. Look what the father says to him. To the servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, the father's response here is to throw a party. Quickly throw a party. And it's a party to beat all parties because the other son is way out in the field and he hears it. He hears the party going on. One of the things about tenacious love is not, not only does it continue to hope, but tenacious love makes it easy to return. It makes it easy to return. You've heard this phrase, saving face, before, saving face before. That means when someone goes through something, we give them the dignity of not rubbing their faces. We allow them to save face. Tenacious love makes it easy to come back. The father doesn't say, I told you that was a stupid idea. Where's all that money I gave you? Don't expect to get anything from me. You got a house, a room over your head. That's all you get. And I truly, I always wish that you would be like your older brother. How likely are you to come back if that's what's waiting for you? You know, this is a story of two sons, really. That's how the story started. We talk about the one, but Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. And the truth is they were both prodigals. They were both lost in different ways. In verse 28, the older brother, when he heard all this, became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property, this son of yours squandered your property with prostitutes come home, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. And in verse 31, I love what the father says to him, right? My son, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, everything the older brother says about his prodigal brother is true. The thing he missed, though, is that he, as the older brother who stuck by the stuff, He's not a slave. He, he says, I've been slaving away. He saw himself as a slave. The father reminds him, you too are a son. This brother walks away in a different way, right? He walks away in resentment. He's actually prodigal number two. And he resents the fact that his heavenly father or his father you see this, how this is all merging. He resents the fact that the, his father is so thrilled that his wayward brother returned. So he says, I'm not participating. I resent that because I've been good. If you're the older brother or sister and you've been faithful and you've been here and you're, you give and you serve, and you, you, you 
the best you can, you live a godly life and you, and you take your stand and you read your Bible, it's really easy for resentment to creep in when others celebrate people who are far from God. And it can make you want to boycott the party, but if you're the older brother or sister, I want to tell you, don't boycott the party. Help us with the party. If you're an older brother or older sister, we, we could use some help. We could use some help throwing some parties around here by greeting people, by leading little kids toward God, by serving in ministries, by giving. Help us throw parties around here because that's why we're here. And we're not, we're not slaving away. We're children of God just like they are. This story is a story about a father and a son. And, you know, there's so much to take away as a parent, um, as a child. But, you know, the story is much bigger than that, right? God, Jesus is using this story to give us a context of what God's love is like. If you're a prodigal, God is never going to stop hoping for you and stop looking for you. And if you're a faithful child of God, God is never going to stop appreciating you for what you do for the family of God and others. Nor will we. God help us. You know, when we started this series of tenacious love, we, we, we looked at God's love through the eyes of a mother, of a father. We talked about how tenacious love holds on. We talked about how tenacious love reaches out beyond our comfort zone. And we talked about how impossible that is for all of us. Jesus, but Jesus commanded us. I command you to love each other the way I've loved you. And the only way we can do that is as we said earlier in this series, we depend on God and we allow his Holy Spirit to fill us. That is the calling that God has given each one of us. I hope that today, wherever you're coming from, that you can receive God's love, even if you're far away. And I, th I hope that this series has helped you raise the bar a little higher for what it means to be someone who's living love in this world today. Let's pray.